The Bostonian is Matt Perrault. This is our city. The book is Dave Sherapan. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Together, they are The Bostonian versus The Book. You covered! You covered 12! I covered! Follow the show on Twitter at Boston versus The Book. How do you like them, Matt? Bringing you the best insight on sports betting news, Matt and Dave's daily picks, and an entertaining and unfiltered dive into the sports betting industry. Here's Dave Sherapan and Matt Peralt. And here we go. I think I know how to do this still. I'm not exactly positive. It's been since the 23rd of December, I believe, the last time you guys saw us live here on YouTube and on Twitter, Sports Grid on the replay. My name is Matt Perrault. I'm the Bostonian. Dave is still off. He should be back hopefully tomorrow. Sitting in for the book, Gilles Gallant, a guy I have known for a long time and someone I am very thankful and excited to have on board for your maiden voyage voyage for the Bostonian versus the book. How are you, my friend? Happy holidays. Happy yes. new year to you. Yes, absolutely, Matt. I'm, I might not be as good as looking as Mr. Sherapin, but uh, <laughs> I will do my best. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's great to be here. We've, I mean, we've been on shows together lots of different times over the years. So it was just great to be able to just jump in and uh, excited to be here. All right. So for those folks that may not know your background, let's get to your background. Yeah. Where are you currently working? You've bounced around a little bit over the last year or so, and now you're doing a bunch of cool stuff. So first and foremost, tell the audience about your lovely background. Yeah. So I, uh, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say I'm a bit of an older dude, you know, <laughs> uh, went to school for journalism way back in the mid two thousands and then kind of took my, by the way, uh, if you, if you're saying that you're making me, I graduated in 99 from college. So just FYI on that. Sure. But <laughs> I, I think we can both agree that the betting audience definitely skews to more than 18 to 35 demo. I think we could both agree that we're no longer in that demo anymore. But that being said, yeah, (laughs) age is just a number. So uh, the main thing that I would just say is I have been around. I've been now around since 2017. It started off with Odd Shark, and then I moved over to FTN. Both were great places to work. And now I'm with the Action Network. I've been there since August, and uh, it's been a blast, man. I got my own touchdown show that I basically talk about because one of the things that I'm, I guess, Twitter famous for is uh, betting on anytime touchdowns. And uh, that uh, translates now to me having my own show each Sunday at 1130 a.m. Eastern, where we give out our best touchdown bets with my co-host, Nick Giffen, who is Dr. Nick. Uh, He's a he's a doctorate in math, which is always fun to to be able to talk with uh, sports betting (laughs) angles and whatnot. So uh, it's been a wild ride, uh, especially over the last couple of years. That's kind of what this industry is all about is being able to roll with the punches. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I think uh, 2023 is it's only going to keep increasing. I mean, we see how the sports betting industry is going, Matt, like every football season feels like just a new chapter, uh, especially since 2017, like where, you know, the, 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 the fan duels and the draft Kings of the world just weren't really prominent yet. Now they're the face of sports betting in that sense. And every year it seems to change more States are opening up legalization. So uh, it's, it's just an awesome, awesome industry to work in. Mm, absolutely. Uh, we will talk, speaking of doctors, Dr. Just Jesse Morris from Florida, who we've had on the show before, is going to come on and talk about what's going on with the Bills and Hamlin in, in a little bit. So stay tuned for that conversation. He should jump on here in about 15 minutes or so. Speaking of doctors, 
Where in Canada are you located? Actually, I've never asked you this question. No, you're, you're in Canada, but where in Canada are you? Yeah, East Coast. I am based out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, okay. which is uh, what, what people uh, don't realize. It's actually, it's got its own time zone, Atlantic time zone. So everybody thinks of the Eastern time zone. I'm an hour ahead of that. So uh, when we're watching primetime games, it's, wow. it's very common for games to be over 132 o'clock my time. Yuck. Uh, in terms of where Canada in what you've seen from a Canadian audience perspective or just how things have changed, Ontario going legal, did did it make a mark? Did it really change the way things are, are done or, or things that you've seen be done up there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ontario has really embraced it. The one thing that's a little different about Canada is uh, it's similar to like the states, like uh, each province has its own gaming commission and they are maybe a little more resistant to allowing some of those competitors to come into the market yet. So places like where I'm at in Halifax, you could still use a FanDuel or a DraftKings, but you probably have to be a little more under the radar about mm-hmm. it, I, I guess right. would be the best way to say about it because um, <clears throat> not to knock like the Atlantic Gaming Commission, which would handle most of what's going on here. But a lot of what they do is they have their own sports books and they want you to use those ones. Uh, so it, Unfortunately, uh, when you're prop shopping, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, fortunately, when you're prop shopping, you want to try to get the best line. Unfortunately, the options could be a little limited. So you have to maybe go a little around (laughs) around the back door uh, to try to find and be able to get those best odds. I love talking with you and you and I have talked over the years about you look at the the smaller markets like you don't mind betting on games. You'll bet full games. You'll bet, you know, totals and sides. But what is it about your brain that attracts you to like the home run props, which I know you do a ton of when it comes to Major League Baseball, anytime touchdown props when it comes to the NFL? Why are those? What is your eye go there when it comes to betting? Well, betting wise, I feel like I have more of an edge in those markets so that I can find I feel like more stats that would correlate to a touchdown prop or a home run prop or an interception prop. Whereas um, I think part of it is too, is the community experience, because when you're betting these props, uh, and I mean, not to knock myself, but you don't really have to be a genius to bet these props. Like a lot of them are dart throws for the most part. Um, So there's a little bit of a rush and a vindication and almost just like a, uh, a relation that you could feel with your audience that if you hit a big touchdown prop, like everybody's celebrating kind of thing. But if you lose, I would argue that the audience maybe isn't as harsh on you uh, because if I'm, (laughs) if I'm betting like a plus 1000 touchdown prop, right. Implied probability is less than 10%. I think we could both agree that it was a long shot to begin with. So if we bet a unit on it and we lose, people aren't going to be, you know, as harsh about it. Whereas when you're betting a spread or a total, or even to a money line, to a lesser extent, that's more of a 50, 50 proposition. Uh, And, you know, people feel that, you know, you should at least be able to go 60% one way or the other. You know? right. So, uh, and I think that's the one thing too, is that with sides and totals, they're the most traditional markets. So they're just dissected front to back. By the time you get to kick off, they're the sharpest lines that are even out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, more often than not, uh, the CLV is a real thing when it comes to spreads and totals, being able to get on markets early. Whereas I find with touchdown props, uh, having the CLV CLV championship belt literally does nothing for you because a guy could get hurt on the first play or whatever else. And, and uh, it would just basically like ruin your bet in that sense. So I think that's the one thing that's really drawn me in more to touchdown props is 
just the community involvement and how much it's grown over the years. Because Matt, like we talk about this, like back in 2017, 2018, like when I first cracked the market, I was really trying to bring it to my editors and and even just to, uh, we were working more with offshore sports books at this time, right. yep. but just kind of trying to bring it to people's attention of like, look how much engagement I'm getting on these tweets and these picks and these articles and, and my editors and, and even the books were just kind of like, eh, you know, <laughs> then nobody really cares. Like, right. you know, like we don't care. We're not seeing the numbers. A lot of these companies, they are, you know, uh, unfortunately they're the SEO driven and click driven. And, and again, that's, that's a proper way to run a sports betting brand business like that. But I think they were kind of maybe reluctant to agree that anything could take over spreads and totals from a larger market. And then what we saw just this past Super Bowl last year uh, with uh, the Rams and Bengals, what was the most bet thing? Cooper Cup, anytime touchdown. Like, it, again, it's just one of those things where you have to recognize where the audience is going and you know, the vindication, I guess, on my part is that I felt I saw it since 2017, 2018. Here we are to 21, 22, and now going into 23. And when you go to a FanDuel or a DraftKings, the third option, it's spreads, totals, touchdown score props. It's not even like uh, you don't have to try to dig for it or try to find it. And I think the books recognize that as well. It's funny because Dave and I have talked a lot about this because he comes from that bookmaking background where he looks at it as he doesn't believe that prop betting will ever take over sides in totals. And I have kind of a different opinion on that. I actually think because the markets, I look, it's hard to win in sports betting. It's not like we're going to be able to shut down the books unless you have a, a gigantic bankroll, but, and also the limits as to what the books are going to take on props are, you know, it's, it's, it's a fluctuating situation. Some books are willing to take 500. Some books are taking a dime. Some books will take more depending on the player. They'll take more, but, the books don't know either. Like, I think what's fun about what you do is that like you mentioned how much of a long shot it is. The books have an idea like, okay, maybe anytime touchdown score, there's a probability that the a Patriots running back might score a touchdown. Okay. But which one there's three of them that Belichick can hand the ball to. And you might find out the most crazy of long shots. A guy we never heard of gets a third down third and goal carry and scores. And you're at plus 1500 on that play. It just, it, it feels like they're the, not that you're on even footing, but the books are as clueless about what may happen as the player. And you may have more data that gives you a, a slight edge over the book. Fair. I, I would, I would agree. I think the one thing that has changed though, Matt is over the last two years and give credit to the book uh, is the books have gotten smarter uh, in 2017 and 2018 and even 2019 to a lesser extent, there were still some options that you could take advantage of, like specifically quarterback touchdown props. Uh-huh. I, I just did for reference, um, my buddy was asking me, he's like, well, what was the big change? Tom Brady. So I know you'll remember this game. This was 2019 back when the, uh, they were undefeated at this point. It was Daniel Jones rookie season. And Tom Brady was 25 to one to rush for an anytime touchdown. And this is, you know, he's still like in his forties, but at the same time, you know, it's just, it's just a draft, uh, a huge drastic change compared to Matt, like now where against Carolina this past weekend, he was around plus 900 plus 1000. And again, it's not like he got more athletic as the time went on. It's not like he rushes the ball more. There's literally only one instance that Tom Brady ever scores a touchdown. It's from the goal line, but the odds have changed because they were 
I think I could speak for the books when I say this. They were getting bent over uh, yeah. by a lot of these quarterback touchdown props. So you've seen them change that. Another thing that they've done uh, this past uh, last season, for example, one of the things that uh, like a book like FanDuel or another book uh, would allow you to parlay <laughs> in a same game parlay, you were able to parlay a the guy who is the kick returner with also with a defensive special teams touchdown. So you were able to get a plus 1000 and parlay it with another plus 1000 and they were <laughs> directly correlated and you'd be getting like, you know, 150 to one or whatever. The point was, is that they had to make changes as well. And you're right. seeing the books adapt over the years um, and each season of trying to find just a little bit more of an edge for them and a little bit of a less of an yeah, edge for us. That is an unbelievable thing. I, I That's the first time I've heard that. And it makes total sense that if you parlay a kick returner, anytime touchdown, whoever that person might be, and a special teams touchdown, you could jack your odds through the roof to do that. Yeah, what they do now, Matt, is they don't even allow the special. Now it's just defense. Yeah. defense so like right, like special teams is dead. The, yeah. Yes. Well, now they'll just put that actual kick returner as an option instead of just be. So again, it's one of those things that kudos to the people who found that edge. Yeah. But at the same time, books are only going to allow you to have that edge for so long before they start to say, okay, this is becoming too much of a liability. <laughs> we have to change this. So yeah, they get a, uh, that, that red number when they run the report and it comes back and they're like, wait a minute, how much money did I just lose on that one play? Yeah. How, how is that possible that that just happened? So yeah, but, I mean, it, it makes sense. But I'm not against what David said that sides in total still rule. Like I will definitely say that they will always, there's always going to be that traditional base of betters that are going to find that edge, being able to have that inside information uh, because touchdowns still, there is still a huge variance and a volatility with touchdowns as opposed to game results. Uh, right. And I think that's the one thing that uh, is a little bit trickier, especially this season, because we had such a, yeah, so it's it's okay. He's he's in the green room. It's okay. Jill, you're fine. We just hear oh, okay. we hear Doc in the in in the background. See, this is the thing. This is live television. This is what happens. I start <laughs> yeah. hearing something in my EFB yeah. and whatever, and then you I think we're I talking to you. Yeah, I should. Yeah, yeah. I should have warned you. That's my bad. No, that's way. all good. So, so really, what I was trying to say, Matt, is that yeah. touchdowns across the board are down compared to like it's about nine percent. And I know yeah. people will be like nine percent. That's not really that much. That's but when you actually lot. work it out, about one hundred and twenty touchdowns over the course of the season. Once that happens, Matt, like that just changes the the game flow of everything of whether teams will even try harder, all that right. kind of stuff. And you're seeing it as well for unders this year. Unders are hitting at 55.3% uh, over the last two years. And it's actually the the, the biggest percentage uh, in over 20 years. Uh, it's the most profitable season for unders in the last 20 years. And teams are averaging uh, across the board, 21.9 points per game. That's the lowest since 2017. So again, just you're seeing scoring drop, the touchdown odds dropping as well, even though there are less touchdowns. So it's it's making it just a little bit harder to find that edge in the touchdown market compared to when we were starting in 2017 yeah. and 2018. The chat's yelling. Yeah, you guys who are watching this show live on YouTube and Twitter, you can't hear or see Doc. Doc comes in the green room. We bring him <laughs> up. The problem is, is that the mic is hot when he comes on. He was on his cell phone and his mic was hot. That's why Jill could hear it in his headset. I could hear it in mine. I'm used to it. It's stunning for someone who comes in who's 
co-hosting the show for the first time, I forgot to warn him saying, hey, when Doc comes in, that'll happen. So he'll be back. We just I think we just did disconnected with him to make it easier. So we just disconnected with him. So we'll bring on Dr. Jesse Morse here in, in a second. The good news, um, just to transition over into the uh, situation involving uh, what is, you know, what everyone is talking about, what everyone has been talking about. We weren't on the air yesterday. I'm actually sort of happy that we weren't on the air just because I didn't know what we would say about Tamar Haskins uh, that has, has, sorry, Hamlin that hasn't already been said. Um, this the defensive back from the Buffalo Bills. The Bills just released this tweet saying Demar remains in ICU in critical condition with signs of improvement noted yesterday and overnight. He's expected to remain under intensive care as his health care team continues to monitor and treat him. So and it doesn't sound like it's bad news. It doesn't sound like it's good news. It just sounds like it's kind of it's slow improvement, encouraging news, I guess, is the way that I would I would say it. But I mean, look, you know, we're both just human beings. You know, you know when you saw DeMar Hamlin, when you saw the situation happen, what went through your head? What, what were how did you handle it? Because I didn't know what to do. Well, see, it was different for me. And, and again, I, I'm not going to make the story about me, but uh, for example, just I bet on Tyler Boyd to score a touchdown in that game. So I, I'm feeling really good. I, I go to the bathroom, I come back and I see Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen crying on the sideline, like just full on. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is going on? Like, again, I've seen guys, you know, tear their ACLs and players can get upset. So that's right. kind of where my first thought gravitated to. And then I heard Joe Buck say the word CPR. And my heart sank I, and I was just, and forget about the human being aspect, just the parent aspect. We're both parents. Like, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I didn't go wake up my kids and go hug them right away, but that was my first instinct is just to hold my kids close kind of thing. And all it just made me think is, and again, I'm not a medical professional by any stretch, but it just, I don't want to call it fluky, but just because it's never like I've never seen that happen before on a football field. I've seen it happen in a hockey game before. Like Chris Pronger is one of the yeah. best examples that I think of taking a slap shot to the chest. Yep. And, you know, they have defibrillators all on ice now. And I mean, he's fine and he's living a great life. But that's just what my immediate thought was, was like, man, this just feels so fluky. But at the same time, like it almost I almost just kind of wondered like how it ha- hasn't happened before. And I know that that sounds awful to think it just, it, I'm not saying the NFL wasn't prepared because obviously the EMTs and all the medical staff are right there to be able to right. help him and, and keep him, you know, breathing, get his heart back to proper rhythm. But all it made me think is, is like, how, does the NFL not really have a protocol in place for when this kind of thing happens? And again, maybe they? they don't. I mean, they haven't had it happen before, like you mentioned. But I mean, in 1999, when I graduated college in the spring of 99, a UMass lacrosse player from Long Island was killed when a, a, a lacrosse ball hit him in the chest. And he was on the field. They gave him the defibrillator. They started his heart. He died at the hospital later on. Right. So. Like I, I had been sort of aware of, okay, his heart stopped. Like when he got hit, he stood up, his heart wasn't going. He just falls straight backwards because blood wasn't pumping to his brain. He just straight passes out. They rush in. They knew what they had to do immediately. They had to resist him twice. He had to be brought back twice, once on the field and then once on the way to the hospital. So like they were scrambling, trying to figure out what was going on. That's why they put him in the coma. Again, we're not doctors. I'm not a doctor. We're hopefully going to have Dr. Jesse Morris already here in a second to help us explain this whole thing. Because what is so frustrating about all of this to me when it comes to this is that like 
we're now it's already becoming political. I mean, this is once this story becomes bigger than just sports. Now we're not talking anymore about him as a person or what the work Hamlin did in the community or his friends and family. Now we're talking about vaccines and everything else. It's just it's crazy how fast this goes to a darker place in a place that I don't really want to go. But it's annoying to me that we're that those conversations are being had because we're forgetting well, what should the NFL, do they have protocols in place? Because I guess as far as what people have said, if this is going to happen, an NFL football field is probably not a bad place to have it happen. Yeah. I mean, obviously the medical, there's a ton of medical staff on, like they have the specific specialists, like the intubation specialists and stuff like that on site, which is great. But also at the same time, my concern is that I don't really know if this is something that we should have prepared for in a sense, because again, it just doesn't happen, uh, you know? And so, I mean, we both have daughters. I know that obviously the first thing is people wanted to be able to jump on it and say, this is why I would never let my kids play football or whatever else. And I don't know if I'm ready to jump that far. Uh, they don't that. play sports then. I mean, this, ha- you talked about hockey. I gave you an example in lacrosse. This is now football. There's baseball examples. I mean, Sports are not safe. Like we know this, there is a level of risk you take Mm -hmm. when you play an athletic event where human beings are literally crashing into each other. So I don't, I mean, somebody tweeted the other day, I, or I was, I was yesterday morning and they said, I am genuinely, genuinely afraid for the future of football in America. And I, and I stopped and went, I don't think that never crossed my mind. I mean, we've seen guys get paralyzed on the field. We've seen players having, we've seen, you know, people get seriously injured playing Mm -hmm. football. When I was in high school, a kid who was, who graduated, I was a senior. He went to Rollins college on a, on a baseball scholarship, took a line drive off the temple and killed him instantly. I mean, he was playing college baseball. Guy got hit in the temple and died, died on the field. Like this is just life is fleeting. Life is temporary, and, and it, it's a reminder of how quickly everything can change in a blink of an eye. But you, you don't think football – like, what could the NFL have done to prevent this? I don't think they could do anything to prevent it. I think the one thing that you may see a change from, Matt, is maybe the insurance and the – not necessarily guaranteed contracts, but more the the way that they take care of their players. Like I'm th- like one of the big things that was brought up was the fact that he's in his second year and yeah. that he wouldn't have the, the besting options to be able – like if he has like long-term care issues and things like that. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe the NFL – I mean they're the most profitable sports enterprise <laughs> in North America. Right. Uh, I, I can imagine that the PA is probably going to be putting in some – suggestions in place of we need to start like almost like a fund of something to be able to take care of players uh, when these kind of occurrences happen. Because if right now, uh, if he was to survive, but everything, everything goes on, but he can't ever play football again, he'll have no pension, no, nothing of that. Right. So, and I don't want it to be just, okay, well, we'll do it for DeMar, but we won't do it for anybody else. Like, I think that's the one thing that they'll probably have to look at more of a widespread. How do we ensure that we take care of our players? Because you saw the reaction of everybody on that field. Nobody was thinking about football 
when that happened, they were only thinking about the well-being of this young man. Yeah, it's, it's a great place to bring on Dr. Jesse Morris here onto the show to kind of talk about what may happen long term. Uh, to someone like Hamlin who had this happen, whose heart stopped. Doc, Matt, and Jill, how are you? Thank you for coming on again. I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for the time. It, let's just kind of start right there, and we'll get into what what obviously you haven't examined tomorrow, so you don't know exactly what happened or the condition he's in. But just for somebody who may have had what we appear to be a heart stoppage due to a blunt force trauma to the chest. Mm-hmm. Is there long-term fear for health? Is there a, a lasting repercussion from this happening to, to someone who has this? Let's just say DeMar did have this happen to him, what we're speculating happened to him during the game. Yeah, unfortunately, there's significant uh, concerns. Uh, it, it, it really comes down to the amount of time, if any, uh, that his brain lost oxygen, anoxia. Um, that really correlates to the amount of CPR done uh, and how quickly um, an AED was placed and how quickly he was able to restore normal function of the heart and allow the brain to continue to get normal level of oxygen. The longer he's without it, the more possibility of semi-permanent or permanent brain damage. Dr. Morse, uh, the question I would ask is, um, do you think there's anything the NFL could have done better from a treatment standpoint for uh, for, for Hamlin? No, I mean, they pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, obviously, a, a super rare and freak occurrence. The uh, NFL uh, does a fantastic job of coming together and, and putting together a emergency action plan called the EAP that the team docs are aware of and, and, and the, you know, the stadium officials and everything. Um, and you hope you never have to use it. Obviously, they had to use it that night. You saw within probably 30 seconds, the athletic trainers probably uh, evaluated, and then probably within a minute or so, uh, the team docs were already there. Um, there were so many people around the player, you couldn't really see exactly what was going on, and they kept zooming out and going to commercials, so I couldn't appreciate it. But um, if you want, if this were to happen in, in any situation, besides being in an ICU or an ER, this is probably where you'd want to have it because you have all those resources that are properly trained and you have level one trauma ready. You have an ambulance on site. You have um, seven to eight docs up to 10 on staff ready right there. One of which is uh, trained to put an intubation tube in. Like that's rare when you have that many resources just randomly. The thing that is upsetting to me, and this is just sort of the way that the world works right now is everybody wants to point to their own angle and people want to point to vaccines uh, without, you know, again, you haven't seen Hamlin, you haven't gone through it. So we don't know exactly. We don't know the, 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 the line I keep on hearing is, well, we don't know it was the vaccine that could have caused this. This was blunt force to the heart, right? Can you explain what we believe happened to the heart at the time it was beating that caused it to stop? Correct. Yes. So the quote unquote differential diagnosis, the possibilities of what this could be. Um, This, unfortunately, um, can be a lot of things. This is not common. He was a high-level athlete who presumably didn't have any genetic variants or any significant cardiac abnormalities because he probably would have had issues before 24 and playing in the NFL, presumably. Um, All of these guys are usually well-screened in college and uh, in the NFL before they get to this point. So um, 
there are a couple things that can happen. Arrhythmias, um, myocarditis, which is uh, inflammation or irritation to the heart that can be due to COVID. Unfortunately, there has been some connections to vaccine, although um, you have to be careful about saying that, but it's unfortunately we've seen cases with that. Um, and there's a bunch of other things. You can have a blood around the heart, pneumoperineum, which can um, squeeze the chamber and cause it to collapse. And the one that most people think it possibly could be is what we call commotio cordis, which is super rare, um, where you happen to get blunt force trauma to the chest. It doesn't have to be significant. Uh, the average and most common is usually a tennis or, or baseball or lacrosse, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, about 40 miles an hour is kind of the average. And it just happens to hit at the perfect electrical cycle of the heart, where instead of um, going up and recycling and resetting, it ends up going straight directly into the fib, uh, an arrhythmia that usually the body doesn't have the ability to get out of, hence the AED. Mm -hmm. um, I can see for and against it. I commented on it on Twitter because it's a, a, a fascinating topic that uh, is possible, um, but there's a couple issues that don't fit perfectly. Um, and it's also what we call a diagnosis of exclusion which means that you have to rule everything else out before you say, yes, it's commotional cortis. Hmm. The question I was going to ask you as well, uh, Dr. Morris, is, is there any tests from a medical standpoint that you could do to find if somebody is more susceptible to something like this? Oh. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of wondering from with this now being such on the radar, if wondering mm -hmm. if maybe that might be part of physicals as well with the NFL. I'm just wondering if there's any tests that you could do medically to see if somebody might be a little more susceptible to an injury like this. Good question. Um, so as part of my training, I'm a, a, what we call a primary care sports medicine doc. So I did family medicine, then I did sports medicine. So I'm not a surgeon. So um, part of my sports medicine training was sports cardiology. Um, where we did EKG review for athletes, which is completely different than normal people. The heart is, it works differently and, and, and adapts differently. So a sports medicine trained, um, evaluation of the heart, um, and you can technically do, you know, you should definitely do an EKG at the minimum. Um, if you want to be really aggressive, you could potentially do a stress EKG or stress echo where you kind of are on a treadmill or whatever. Sure. Um, if you want to be really dramatic, you could do a CT or MRI. Um, again, for regular people, probably overkill and expensive. Um, but if you wanted to, you know, make sure, I mean, it's still not perfect, but you'll, you know, you'll be better than 90, you know, you'll, you'll probably catch 90 something percent of them if I were to guess. Right. Okay. You know, what's interesting about, I think as we go through these processes and, and Jill's question is great about what we potentially might be able to determine and, and, and look at going long-term. I know it might be too early, but they said that he only lost about one to two minutes of oxygen to the brain. That's been the, the report out from his, from his uncle. If that is the case, it seems like they caught it in time and they got oxygen to the brain. Could he play football again? Could DeMar Hamlin, could he play one day down the road again? So um, I did, haven't heard that news, but that's, that's actually really good news. Um, the, the rule of thumb, at least for commotional cortis, again, this is a specific subset, but is three minutes. Um, under three minutes, the data is pretty good and not beautiful, but it's okay. Over three minutes, it's bad. Like, it's just not pretty. Um, unfortunately, that's just what the data shows. Um, can, you know, can he, the question is, hopefully he wakes up and he is alive, right? right. That's obviously the best case scenario. But then you have to take into consideration at what state is he? 
Okay. Is he highly functioning? Is, does he have a neurological disorder? Is he able to feed himself? Oh. These are questions that most people want to ask, but unfortunately these are relevant questions and these are what the medical team has to worry about and his family and so on and so forth eventually. Then the next question is, unfortunately, is the brain damage so severe? Is he in a, what we call an anoxic state? Is I hate to use the term, but it's the one that won't, everybody will understand, vegetable. You know, right. like yeah. um, that's worst case scenario uh, besides obviously death. But um, I, I won't put it past anybody. These guys are resilient. Uh, we've seen crazier things happen, um, but it would be difficult regardless of age, regardless of a lot of other things. Um, not impossible, but everything would have to go perfect. So football, really, th- th- this is not even a question right now. This, we're, we're talking about In my life, opinion, right, probably right, yeah. not. Pro- okay. Probably not. Um you know, again, you know, a betting man, I'd probably say, unfortunately, no, mm-hmm. but, but, but it's obviously possible, but, you know, I think there's bigger fish to fry than, than that, but, you know. Yeah. Doc, I guess, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll just end it with this in, in, in terms of, I know you're not a psychiatrist, but just, you've been around athletes a long time. When you see these types of injuries, what does it do to a player? It's fluky. I know, but this is, we're talking about yeah. someone's, this is, we're not, you just said he may not be able to function as a human being anymore. And this happened in front of his whole entire team and the Bengals. What, what how, in your, in your history, how does this impact those who care about him, his teammates going forward? Well, uh, I'll just give you one example. I'm assuming most people watch the, the film or the, maybe we're watching it live. Probably. Unfortunately, um, just think of what Josh Allen's face looked like. He was distraught and that may be an understatement. I don't know what else you could use beyond that, but here's the problem. Not only do these guys spend more time with their teammates than they do with their family. You know, they're literally with them five, sometimes six days a week. Um, they, for years, you know, for some of them, the other part of it is this was just a regular hit. Yeah. This wasn't crazy. This wasn't targeting. This wasn't, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, using a helmet for crowning. Like this wasn't crazy. This was a routine hit that turned catastrophic pretty much immediately. So when you think of that, the players are like, that could happen to me. Mm. You know, and, and that's, that's the, the part where they're like, mm. and some guys can't compartmentalize that. They can't say, you know what, I'm okay with that and I can push through that. Some guys are like, no, they, that's all they can think of. They don't even want to think about stepping field. There was a good, I think it was Ryan Clark, uh, who had a fantastic interview the other night. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, these guys think about playing, you know, waking up and playing football. They don't have to worry about dying that day. Like, that's not. So, like, but now that may be something they have to think of. You know, the NFL sent out an MMO yesterday that the mental health counseling is available for anybody or everyone who needs it, which is definitely an understatement um, because you can't unsee that. Really rough. Yeah. Doc, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate you coming on and giving us some insight into this really awful situation. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, sir. Thank you, doctor. That is Dr. Jesse Morse. Uh, he, and, I, and this is my bad because I'm out of practice, but sports medicine physician, he's in he's based on Miami, Florida, a guy who's worked a ton uh, with different 
sports and sports teams and sports athletes down in Miami and someone who has been really active on Twitter, Dr. Jesse Morse on Twitter at Dr. Jesse Morse on Twitter to follow him. And it's, he's done some really, really cool things. Jill, it's funny because I think when people get into car accidents, the next time you drive, you have that moment, that, that mm-hmm. realization in, in, I've been in some pretty bad car accidents where I've been very fortunate. And I, I got hit by a Mack truck who opened the, opened my door. And I was in college. I was going down a highway and oh the guy, the guy didn't see me. He was, you know, delirious. I think he was driving for like 15 hours straight and he opened my, the door of my car, like a can opener and he could see through my door. And if he had pushed me off the road, I was on the mass pike. The, 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 the embankment was about a hundred feet down. So I was lucky to stay on the road and get off the highway. And then I remember driving, <laughs> having to drive to Boston and I was just white knuckling it the entire time yeah. because you have that realization that, Oh my gosh, in a split second, this can happen. You got to wonder what the players, when they put that helmet back on, what goes through their head the next time they play football. Well, forget just a huge accident. Like even like myself, like if I had like a fender bender, I'm on like my, best behavior the entire time, like just trying to make sure that like I'm overcorrecting. And that's kind of what I worry about with football players is that maybe, and it may not happen, but just some of them, maybe, maybe they pull up a little bit on a tackle. Maybe they're, you know, maybe not as forceful because they're a little, it's just in the back of their mind. And and that could maybe change a result in in certain respects. Like, again, I'm not saying that every player is going to think that way or that they're going to be, you know, reluctant to tackle or anything like that. Uh, I would just say that it's, if it's going to be on their mind, it's just one more thing on their mind that isn't about making the play. And that's what I worry about is that it could actually impact uh, the product on the field. So you're a numbers guy, right? I'm a numbers guy, right? I mean, three is not my number, but three is Hamlin's number. The Buffalo Sabres last night, it, it's a little like it gave me chills. If you guys haven't seen this, this is insane. So the Buffalo Sabres last night, three minutes into overtime, get a win, a 5-4 win last night. It's Tage Thompson's on January 3rd, has a three-gold night, his third hat trick of the season, 30th goal of the season, and he did it while they were playing three on three. I mean, that's a little freaky, right? (laughs) It's super poetic, man. And uh, I think the one thing too, uh, not that I wasn't thinking about the Buffalo angle. If anything, it made me just think to like how much hockey has grown in the state of Arizona because he is so good. Tage Thompson is only his, third year in the league, I believe, but the second year where he's actually excelling and just makes me think of the connection like Austin Matthews and just how much hockey has kind of expanded in the United States. Just since, I mean, since we were kids, wait wait till a kid out of Vegas comes because that's what's happening next because that, because that happened in Arizona, right? When, when they, when they opened the NHL and they started mm -hmm. the, the, you know, Arizona created this awesome youth hockey program and the coyotes have funded it. The Golden Knights have done the same thing here in Vegas. They funded it a ton. There's four more sheets of ice now here in Vegas. And the practice facility the Vegas Golden Knights built, which is like a mile from my house, is literally used almost round the clock for youth hockey teams to get on the ice and to practice and to play games. So it's it's wild because you don't think it. I'm from Boston. You're from a cold weather place like pond hockey and going out there on, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the ice. That's what you learn how to play. You learn how to skate. 
now it's the desert. <laughs> well, now you're wearing flip-flops to the arena, and that's something that I'm not used to doing True. other than just playing maybe some <laughs> summer hockey or something. But right. I think the one thing, too, is the uh, the Buffalo Sabres. I don't think enough people remember just the how impactful they are in the NHL and like when they're good, how mm. the NHL changes. Like Being from where I'm from there on the east coast of Canada, Buffalo was almost kind of like – a little bit of a Canadian hockey city, like just because of how close it is. And well, it's, your, it's your football town for starters. Well, for sure. Yeah. Or the Patriots. But, but yeah. I think that's a lot of the time, the two teams that where I'm from most of the, they adopt, but just the fact that I feel like when the Sabres are good, the NHL is better. It reminds me of like when the Knicks are good, the NBA is better. And yep. I, you know, I, I watched a lot of NHL in the nineties and two thousands. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of people who will remember how boring I guess the Sabres would be with Dominic Hasek at goaltender. But um, that's what it made me think is just like, you know what? Hockey's back in Buffalo and it's good to see because there's just been a lot of, lot of yeah. bad years in Buffalo uh, probably since, I mean, 2009, 2010, the whole spillover of what happened with Jack Eichel. And yeah. it's just been, um, it's, it's nice to see positive stories come out of Sabres hockey. That's all you know, I really wanted to say. Yeah. We talked about, Demar Hamlin from the life standpoint, and I wanted to bring on Doc first, but there is a massive football issue from that game. This is and was, you know, the game of the week, Bills at the Bengals with insane amounts of repercussions in the standings as to what the playoffs were going to look like. The one seed with the Bills, the Bengals and the one seed, the Bengals in the division. The Patriots trying to make the playoffs. The Dolphins trying to make the playoffs. The Patriots playing a Bills team that might need the game in week 18 or not. How that all factors out. What do we do with this game? It's not going to get it's not going to get made up this week. But no. what, do you do? What, what do you do with it? Well, we talked off air and you sent me that article from Pro Football Talk. Florio brought up an interesting solution of, uh, you know, that, that they would almost like uh give up home field, yeah, play no like a neutral home, game and the AFC title game. And right. I mean, I'm not trying to be a negatron here, Matt, but I hate that solution. Like okay. why would it, why would either team agree to that? Like to do an AFC title game at a neutral field, you're basically like the chiefs. Yes. Again, they don't, but they don't owe the bills anything like giving up home field. Isn't a solution in my opinion for the AFC title game. What my initial thought was, again, there's so much logistic nightmare to do this but I thought this would be the best way to make sure that it's even for everybody is just make week 18 a buy for everybody. Just delay it by a week. And we just do week 18 is a buy for everybody. We just move everything a week. So well, um, the one benefit you have with that scenario is that they have the week. They have an extra week in between mm -hmm. the championship weekend and the Super Bowl. Exactly. So, so they you could the slide everything back a week. All week 18 games, they get played on the 14th and 15th. So instead of this weekend on Saturday for the for the Titans and the Jaguars and the and the Chiefs Raiders, that just plays the next Saturday. And then the Monday, we still play Bills Bengals on uh, January, or we could play it on January 9th, this upcoming 9th. And uh, that way they would play the Monday and then we would just move all the games a week. Now, I know from a logistics standpoint, from the fields, the events and everything else, it would just be a nightmare, all the people who paid for tickets, hotels, whatever to go to those. But if they were trying to make it equal for the football player and the teams, not necessarily from a fan standpoint, right. that would be the solution I would suggest is just NFL is just off for the week. You just delay it by a week. So do you play Bengals bills this weekend? 
or play, you play it on Monday. You play it on Monday. Play it on Monday. I don't mind that idea at all. And it gives people who were Bengals fans with the tickets to get to go back into the game. Do you play the game over or do you start it seven, three from where the injury happened? That's a tough call. See, I deep down, I feel that it should be played down in distance, time score. Wow. Everything should be Just, exactly the same. Okay. But then on the flip side, I realize all the things that have happened and just, do we just start it again? And there wasn't enough of a game almost to be played that you could just start it at zero, zero again. And, and it would probably still be the same, but I think I would probably just go exact down in distance, exact score, everything, and just play on as if time was paused. For so like what do you, if, if you're the Baltimore Ravens and you know that if the bills win that game, you're playing the Bengals for an AFC North championship game. I'm somebody with a plus 200 ticket on the Ravens to win the division. So I'm obviously invested financially in what may happen here. It doesn't matter. Big picture. Just, you know, pointing out my angle on this. And if you look at the way that the Bengals are playing, do you just say, look, we're going to go off off winning percentages. And we're just going to say, look, the game, we can't figure out how to do this. And we're just going to have the Bills and we're going to have the Bengals. They play 16 games. Everybody else plays 17 games and we'll go off percentages as to who gets what. I think I think the issue with this is that somebody's going to be a loser in that scenario. 100%. Some, in somebody not playing in that game. The, the, the problem I have with it with that scenario is that you're going to screw somebody who wasn't in that game. Yep. Like if the Bills and the Bengals got screwed, well, then that's a, just a bad break. That's life. But if you make a decision based upon the outcome of the Bills and the Bengals that impacts everybody else, that's where I'm like, well, wait a minute. Now, if I'm an owner of – if I'm you know, Harbaugh, I'm going, wait, 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 guys. Hold on a second. Like we, we played our games and now we don't get a chance to you know, have a home playoff game because of what happened in somebody else's game. How, how is that fair? Yeah, so and, and again – it's one of those things too, because of how much was staked into the game of the trickle down effect of everything. Cause it was what I called this game was a needle mover. Right. It would have moved the Super Bowl odds. The MVP odds were almost kind of up for grabs in a way, uh, you know, divisional odds, like you just mentioned, number one seed odds. There are so much that could basically change just from this simple outcome of this game. Now, if this was like Texans bears, who cares? Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, we just, I don't want to say we cancel it, but it's not really going to affect right, anybody either right, way. Just slide you know, off it. Yeah, but right. this game is just, it's not even from a fandom standpoint. It's just the, the trickle down effect of everything that would happen for the playoffs, which is what the NFL is really wanting to be about. So unfortunately there's not really a solution I could suggest where somebody doesn't get hosed. Right. The only solution that I can think of where at least, everybody is maybe equally hosed guess, <laughs> is, is to delay the entire NFL season by a week. And, and that would be essentially what I would suggest. But again, I'm not in charge of the NFL. I don't, I know that there's obviously so many logistical things that are going to happen, but I think one of the things that the owners would almost have to accept is that if you want competitive uh, balance, you have to probably take a hit on the audience numbers and the audience yeah. gate that you're going to take on this. And might, that's, but also I'm not sure if the owners are willing to do that. It's fair, but it also might be the availability of the stadiums. That's the exactly. other problem. Is it what happens with the concert series or a rodeo or there's something going on? Oh yeah. It's not already, just 16 events a year or 17 yeah, or eight events a year. It's, there's something they, else that's been booked for months and they're like, yeah, we're not moving. Like, Hey, we need that Sunday now for our game. Like, yeah, no, like, sorry. It's like, um, mm-hmm. now what do you do? Yeah. We have contracts. We'll sue you. There's like all these dominoes. <laughs> that happen because of all of this. 
for the Patriots and the Bills game either matters a ton or it matters for the Patriots. It's wild. The Bills could be playing for the one seed or for nothing. They've already won the AFC East. They're already going mm-hmm. to the postseason. Just a matter of what seed are they going to be. They could fall as far down as the three seed, depending on how things go with this. So it's not just the one seed, which is the bye. They could have a totally different path to Arizona, given on what seed they're going to be. What what do you do with the Patriots' bills? Because it's not on the board right now. We, it was minus no. 10. The look-ahead line was minus 10. But this is the game where I'm like, I mean, from a Patriot fan perspective, which I am, it's like, it's a, it's a whole mess of things that are going to happen that you got to figure out the Bills and the Bengals first. And oh yeah, by the way, the Patriots Bills game equally is problematic. Yeah. I mean, I think they still got to play the game. Uh, I think when it reopens though, if we're at a minus 10, I think regardless of what's at stake for the Bills, I think you're going to see that line climb. Like I think the emotional energy by that crowd, the mafia, I'm a little worried for the, I mean, we saw what happened in the first game (laughs) in new England. Now you're having this emotional hangover, but also boost uh, to be able to almost push the players forward. Like, you know, we're playing for, for Hamlin, that kind of uh, mentality. I, I would worry about if whether or not, as I mean, from your perspective as a Patriots fan, that could be a blowout of 20 plus points for the bill. I mean, it could have been that before the energy, but now that would be the thing that when that line reopens. What if they don't want to play? What if the Bills players say we're not? What if Josh Allen's like, I can't play right now. Like, I, I, I need time and you have to play backups. I'm a little worried that if that happens, the players are going to be the ones that suffer more than the NFL because it'd be no different than and I hate to you know, compare deaths or anything like mm-hmm. that. But like, let's say Josh Allen's a close member of Josh Allen's family passed away a week before or whatever. And I mean, we've seen players, you know, go through the, the kind of adversity. Like yeah. I think of Brett Favre immediately when I think of that, of his dad dying and him going to play on a Monday night football against the Raiders. And, and that's all I'm thinking of is that there would probably be the players would probably get penalized if they chose not to play choosing their mental health over the game. I'm not faulting either side, but it's kind of one of those things that it's like, I, okay, I get it from a same day standpoint, but unfortunately life as sad as it sounds as life does go on and yeah. uh, we still need to play these games. And um, unfortunately uh, a close friend, close friends injury isn't enough to, for us to say, because he still would want to get paid for the game, I'm assuming, or, right. you know, but that's all I'm getting at. It's just, I think would there's you, just so much money involved. You mentioned that the bills having the emotional push for that and, and bet smart us on, on the live chat just brought up a point. Would you place a bet on the, if, if we restart, we get the idea. Is there value on the bills to win it all because of this? Because you could see this, they, they just go and play their, I mean, becomes almost a team of destiny because of what they've gone through together. I mean, I think the, th- the issue with that is that you're already kind of buying high because they're already favorites to win the Super Bowl, right? So right. it's not like you're getting an extra, but like, yes, there's extra motivation, but we're all, every team at the top is motivated to win the Super Bowl. So right. I, I'm not really sure if that would really add much more jump in their step. I think for the first game, the emotional aspect of it i think we'll maybe ride the wave but i think as weeks go on and by the time we say we got they got to the super bowl i'm not really sure the hamlin angle would be enough to make me think okay that's that that swings it 
No, and, and that's how fast the world changes, right? I mean, once I think everybody's waiting for that all clear. They're yes. waiting for like he's going to be okay. And that's why, like, during the game, when I was tweeting about it, I was like, look, unless they get the, the, the all clear from the paramedics on the way to the hospital, like, hey, he's awake, he's fine, he's good, you couldn't play that game. That game had to be canceled. And that's what Sean McDermott said to uh, to anyone Zach who came Taylor. up with Zach Taylor, thank mm -hmm. you, who walked over and asked him. It was like, you know, he's like, I can't be here. I got to be at the hospital. Like, I can't coach this game. Like, nobody was thinking football. We, I mean, it took the NFL, I think, will go down in history as being known as the organization that said you have five minutes to get ready to play football, which, yeah. was, which was a really bad look in hindsight as to what was going on. You wonder, I, I got why what they were, what they were trying to do, but th there was, I mean, it was a very tough situation for everybody. It was incredibly fluid, but in hindsight, that looks horrible. Of they course. Five minutes. Yeah, of course. And again, I think, I, I don't want to go as far as saying I'm defending the shield. I think they just, somebody said one thing, Joe Buck went on the air and said another thing. It was probably as innocent as that. And right. probably wasn't even a final decision, yeah. but it got blown up because it just sounded like so inhumane and just heartless. So at the same time, I'm not trying to defend the NFL. I'm just kind of wondering Fair. if maybe, no, it was, it was chaos. It was, it was complete. Yeah. Nobody knew what was it's like going a game on. of telephone almost. Yeah. Like, I mean, I couldn't believe how long they let the fans stay in the stands. I was like waiting for someone to come on and be like, Hey, does somebody want to tell the fans to go home? Because like this game's not going to continue. They were sitting there for 45 minutes waiting to find out whether the game I was, was a little get. dubious though, Matt, like, honestly, I didn't know for sure that they were good. Like I felt personally, you know, that they should cancel the game, but would it have shocked you if the NFL was like, no, you got to yes. play or you if, forfeit. If, if, unless we heard, if we got the all clear from the paramedics as being like, look, he just passed out. Uh, you know, he's up, he's awake, he's talking, he's fine. If we didn't hear that, then playing would have been the most ridiculous oh, it of been decisions. Awful trash game. It yeah. Been hard, it, hard to watch. There's no way. And, and frankly, the bills would have walked off the field. I mean, and that was, I, I'll credit the Bengals who said, look, if the bills aren't playing, we're not playing. Of course. So that was an equal decision by the players to step in and say, you know, we're, we're done with doing any of that, but you know, it's, it's going to be, I, I, we're all waiting. I, I haven't checked my app this morning because uh, I had two bets on the game and I was waiting to see what the books are going to do because it should be a straight refund is what it should be. But will it be is the question. I think most books have uh, the book that I was using, for example, still paid me out on the Tyler Boyd touchdown prop, but the Good. other two, what I had Dawson Knox and, uh, and T Higgins, they did refund those bets. Yeah, I've got two so. bets pending who have not been refunded as of yet. So for uh, uh, I would the game, so. I'd be patient on that. I'm I'm willing yeah, to I'm, bet. Yeah, whatever. I'm willing to bet it's coming back. Yeah, I'm 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 not worried. I mean, I, I think they're they're waiting for like the official something to come down officially from the NFL. It says like this is what's happening. Here's the scenario for how it's going to all play out. But as a Patriot fan, I mean, I don't know what to do with this game, but you have an interesting angle in a tweet that I want to bring up about the Patriots defense and their ability to score touchdowns. Do you bet defensive touchdowns as well as anytime touchdowns? I do. But I think the one thing that I'm just shocked by is how many touchdowns they have gotten this year. And just, and again, it's Kyle so they, Duggar, more they, it's one player really for the Patriots. Well, and this past week was a big surprise too, because uh, Marcus Jones wasn't playing. Jack Jones got ruled out. They are two solid players on the secondary for the Patriots. So the fact that those guys were missing and they were still able to manufacture points out of that. Uh, so they have scored now a defensive touchdown in eight of 16 games and people brought up, well, what about the, the, the kick return touchdown from uh, Marcus Jones against the yeah, Jets? I was like, Jets. Well, technically that wouldn't have counted 
that wouldn't have counted towards this. So uh, right. it would have been a, a separate prop that you would have had to a bet. But yeah, have you blindly just bet one unit since the start of the start of uh, the season? You'd be up forty units in profit. And what's crazy is we went back through the game logs just as a because I was like, wait a minute. So eight of 16, actually, it's pretty much since the Green Bay Packers game because they didn't score a defensive touchdown in those first three games. And then since the Packers game, which is week four, that's how many defensive touchdowns they have in that stretch, which is incredible to watch. And you think about the fact that they, the special teams and the defensive have now combined for uh, 10 touchdowns this year. Well, Mac Jones has only thrown 11 touchdowns this year. So that wow. is the offense in a way now for the Patriots is being able to use their defense. It's Iowa. It's like Iowa football. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's like the Iowa offense is their defense. Patriots offense is their defense, which is a huge indictment on Matt Patricia, obviously, as to where the Patriots are offensively and what they're doing. But it's also a huge, you know, look at the ball skills for the Patriots. And if they're going to make the postseason, they're probably going to have to score a touchdown against the Bills. Fair. I mean, would you bet this against the Bills? I think at this point you almost have to bet it. And what's funny is that they haven't really dropped the odds yet. Like it, it, right now you're still seeing it at a plus 600, plus 500. These props usually range uh, depending on the matchup, of course, but they usually range right. somewhere between plus 500 and plus 750. And they still have not put the Patriots below plus 600 all season, despite these scoring exploits. So if you're seeing it against the bills in, in Orchard park at, at plus 600, again, I'm not saying to dump your bankroll on it or even to put a whole unit on it, but I think a sprinkle is definitely worth it because at this point, that's really the only way that they've been able to manufacture points. Hmm. The other thing you tweeted out, which I liked a lot was this interception profitability week 17 look and which, cause I think betting on interceptions this season has been one of the, one of my, if I talked to, if you asked me what was my revelation this year, betting on the NFL, it's been betting on interceptions and whether it be fluky or predictable or whether it just be some quarterbacks, just throw picks looking at the team quarterback on the road, who is normally a guy who will throw a pick or two, a Kyle Murray, a Daniel Jones, somebody who maybe is more of a runner than a passer who on the road might be down, who might be trying to force a football in those numbers. I mean, you can, yeah, sometimes you're laying minus 130, minus 140 juice, but sometimes you're getting plus money. Well, yeah. And not only that, like it's guys that you wouldn't coming in the first three seasons, you would not have thought Patrick Mahomes would be anywhere near this list. And then last year he had that kind of down year where he threw more interceptions in that season than he did the previous three seasons combined. And then this year, same thing on him and Josh Allen, uh, Derek Carr, you know, guys that just weren't turnover heavy are completely the opposite. I mean, Russell Wilson is the best example where you're just seeing a night and day performance. Like it's in Seattle, he never had more than 10 interceptions since his rookie season. And he had 10 by week nine, <laughs> you know, mm. it was that kind of swing. Right. And I think one of the things too, that I was trying to do, Matt was trying to, eye the plus money guys, because you're seeing the record overall, it's 78 and 72. This act, this week wasn't actually that bad, but uh, week 16, the, the revelation that you had about interceptions, weather played a huge part, 22 of 30 quarterbacks last week through an interception. And then this, and then this past week, it 
evened itself out. They were still, you know, your usual suspects of throwing an interception, like a Dak Prescott, for example, uh, which crushes my heart. But uh, at the same time, um, the guys like that, though, where you're seeing consistent plus money odds, despite what the books are telling you, like Matt Ryan was plus odds for the first three weeks playing against the Texans, the Jaguars, and he throws an interception each week and eventually just gets benched. And that's one of the things when you're looking at these profitable interception props and looking at the, like the top 30, a lot of these guys, they don't get the, they don't get the third week to, to try when they get the plus money odds. Usually they get benched or, or whatever else. So the fact that you're able to get an Aaron Rodgers who was consistently over plus 200 odds week to week, mm. you know, to throw a pick. And then also from him having a down year because he's thrown about 12 or 13 this year, comparatively to just 12 or 13 in his previous two MVP seasons, you're able to take advantage of that. I mean, Dak, he's had one game where he hasn't thrown an interception since coming back. Uh, so at this point, even going in uh, week uh, 18 against the commanders on the road, I'm going to be looking at Dak again. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be looking at uh, Mahomes again. I'm going to be looking at Trevor Lawrence as well. The big prize for week 18, though, Matt, is Jared Goff. Jared mm. Goff is the big prize we want this week, mainly because I think when you see these interception props open up, they're going to price him as if he's, you know, a top five quarterback. They're going to, because he's only thrown one interception over the last 10 games and they're seven and three in those games, the Lions. So they're, you know, they're starting to improve, but now playoff berth potentially on the line, depending on what happens in that Seahawks game. But also you're going on the road to Green Bay. You don't have the friendly confines of being in your dome where you're looking like the 99 Rams. I think the interception is coming for Jared Goff. I'll put that out there right now. And if I'm seeing it, I love that at yep. better than minus 120. Yep. I'm hammering it. If it's less than minus 120, we're getting in the minus 130, minus 140 range. I might only just be the one unit, but <laughs> the but the others, that's going to be a full full send, I guess, as they say here in Canada. Can you see the Lions winning that game? No. Can, can they go no. to Green Bay and win that game? No. And again, that sounds almost too dismissive because I have profited a lot over touchdown props with the lions this year and even just betting them over these last 10 games getting you know decent quality odds on them a lot of the time but jared goff is just a different quarterback outdoors and now you're going to play in probably the toughest environment that you could play in in any season when the when the the chips are on the table kind of thing right. and right. again the the coaching edge I'm a little worried that the Lions are going to get beat by like double digits. It's kind of one of those. See, uh, so he, yeah. he, here here are some numbers for this game because I, I was breaking down this game this morning. So the number is still is four and a half. The total is 49 in this game. But the Lions are 11 and five against the number this year. One of the yes, best teams are. in the NFL against the number. Green Bay's eight and eight. Four straight wins and four straight covers for the Packers. Lions are seven and two straight up over the last nine. The Lions are four and three to the over on the road. They're 10 and six to the over overall, but they're eight and three to the over against teams in the NFC. If the weather isn't bad, I mean like wind, forget, I don't care cold mm -hmm. and snow, but if the wind is not howling 49, this game goes over. Does it not? I, I don't necessarily think so. Um, okay. I, I think that the, if it is going to go over, it's because the Lions are in it. If it's way that I predict the game is going to go, which is probably a, you know, a 28 to 17 kind of game kind of thing. That's kind of where I think it would fall, probably fall short. Yep. I think the other thing, too, that 
there's a lot of trends out there for Jared Goff comparatively to the way when he plays in the 1 p.m. window comparatively to prime time. So mm-hmm. a lot of 1 p.m. windows in his time this season, especially with the Rams. Uh, so, for example, he's 28 and 14 against the spread when playing in the 1 p.m. window. And that's 19 and eight against the spread just over the last two seasons with the Lions. Wow. But when you take any other game, he's the the spread hits at 46 percent as opposed okay. to, you know, the 65 percent. So there's just a little bit more of a tricky, you know, I'm not, I don't want to put him in the Kirk Cousins profile of what we say, like <laughs> primetime cousins and all that stuff. Right. But at the same time, there is some merit to that, that when you're not playing inside in a dome uh, at the one o'clock regular schedule, you're not necessarily seeing the same results. So I think for me, I would probably be looking more at the Lions or at the, the Packers here to, uh, to win handily. Four and a half. You like the, you're willing to lay it. I mean, if I'm going to be really bold, I would probably go alt spread. I go minus six and a half if I'm being yep. really bold, but, but at the same time, j- I would probably still anybody who's listening and just go with the safer pick. It is a little bit past the key numbers here at three and a half yeah. and four, but I'm modeling this around five and a half to six. So I think that, you know, I think the Packers can win fairly easily here. It's just more of. Well, you you can correlate it. Can you not? You could go Packers minus four and a half Jared Goff to throw an interception and the under. Mm-hmm. You could you could come right through with all three of those things. That playing. sounds yeah, like or, a solid same game parlay to me. Right. So it turns into like a 24 to 14, 24, 17 win for the Packers game goes over or under rather and Jared Goff throws a pick. It, Cause I think you're right. I think if the game does go over, it's because the lions are scoring and the lions are in the game. And so the lions may cover, they may lose, they might lose by three. It's like a 24, 24 football game and it mm-hmm. ends 27, 24. So the game squeaks over and then Goff doesn't throw a pick and the, and the, in the defense for the Packers gives up big plays in the running game, which really needs to happen for that lion's offense to be effective. Well, and I think that's the one thing too, is we're, we're thinking of the Packers offense as this passing offense that is just dominant and really even against Miami and against, uh, uh, their, the win that they had this past week, Aaron Rodgers wasn't thrown for 300 yards. It was the right game that was pacing them. And that's probably what's going to happen, which is why I'm leaning more towards an under because both of these teams, they want to run the ball. Jamal Fair. Williams doesn't have 15 touchdowns by accident. They right. get When they get to the goal line, that's what they do. And they let DeAndre Swift kind of run between the middle and between the 20s. I'm a little worried about Amon so like taking like props like right now on overs for guys like St. Brown, um, you know, DJ Chark, Brock Wright. Like I'm going to probably be looking at unders on their props as well, because that's right. been the strength of the the Packers defense this season has been their secondary has really taken over over the last uh, five to six games. It's it's fair. All right, let's get to some games uh, this weekend, Saturday, just two of them. We'll start with the first one. It's here in Vegas. You got the Raiders at home against the KC Chiefs. It's been a pretty big number, 10, nine and a half of what we're seeing here for the Chiefs. What did you see and did anything out of the performance from Jared Stidham make you believe the Raiders could actually play hard here? Yeah, I mean, I blinked and Darren Waller was scoring a touchdown on that Niners defense. Like we, you know, didn't even have time to like if you're watching Red Zone. Yeah, you're probably all caught up with like everything that was happening with the 1 p.m. Eastern games and that San Francisco Raiders game, once that started, Darren Waller was scoring within five minutes of the game starting. So it kind of just was like, whoa, Jared Stidham on this defense. Wow. Uh, but he showed you a little bit of everything, like two touchdowns, showed you two interceptions. <laughs> he ran the ball a little bit. Um, and 
I, I think the one thing before I get too caught up in Jared Stidham is it's easy to look good when you're throwing at Devontae Adams and Darren Waller. You know, those guys will make you but look Derek good. But Derek Carr wasn't. I mean, well, I mean in he all still fairness, had games where he looked great, but he again, did. The other games where he looked really poor. I mean, he he, he had compliment. He had games where he had Waller, Renfro, and he had Adams. And he, yes, put up some pretty big numbers. He had big games at times, but I don't know. I, I th- that performance to me meant system versus talent sure. that Josh's system with these weapons that they need a quarterback to elevate it. And Derek Carr and Jared Stidham almost looked identical. They well, that's looked what I was going to say is that I feel like I'll, I'll, I'll see you a two touchdown and two interception and I'll raise you and say that. I feel like Derek Carr could have had the exact same performance. And again, when you're playing against a Niners defense, that is obviously, if not the toughest, second toughest in the NFL, um, anything will look good if you're able to put up over 20 points on them, especially in the second half where they've been so effective in being able to shut down teams uh, even before they can even make a comeback. I think my biggest thing too, why I'm looking at the Raiders in this game is just Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs as a large favorites. Uh, we've seen this now for years is that when they're favorites of three points or less, like these games that almost feel like a toss up, you know, they're 17, six and one against the spread with Mahomes at a quarterback. And once the spread starts getting up past a touchdown, and once we're starting to see three and a half or more, you start to see the spread go against them. And they're 29, 36 and one against the spread in those games. And there was really only one instance that you can point to this season where they were huge favorites and they covered, and that was against Seattle uh, in week 16. Uh, But, you know, both games against the Broncos this year, they were 12 and a half to 13 point favorites. And there were points in those games where they were trailing. Uh, So I just, my issue with the chiefs is I hate betting them as favorites. I love betting them in coin toss situations. If they're ever underdogs fire away. Right. But, but that's really, that's my issue is that, the Chiefs do have something to play for, but the Raiders being a divisional game, you know that they're still going to try to play. So uh, I feel like at this point, if it's any more than a touchdown, you can't take the Chiefs in this instance. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Raiders are going to play hard in this game. It, nine and a half is a lot. And, and who knows? I could see a back door where the Chiefs get up big and then they just coast. They pull everybody and the Raiders, you know, come back and, and, and backdoor it on you and you end up losing the bet. And I would also say for that game, if you're looking at touchdown props, the two guys that you want to look at are the guys on the slot. You're going to be looking at a Darren Waller or a, or a Foster Moreau or even a mm. Hunter Renfro to a lesser extent because the Chiefs and the Buccaneers, the one thing they do have in common is that they allow the most touchdowns and slot receivers this year and the two guys that line up the most in the slot on the Raiders are a Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller now they've been out for most of the season so Mac Hollins and and Foster yeah. Moreau have had to fill that role a little bit more but now those guys are back and we've seen Darren Waller look pretty good so far through two games I'd be looking at him again especially when I'm seeing him in the odds range of plus 300 to plus 350 on a defense that is pretty I don't Mm. want to call the overrated or underrated. Just, I would just say that they're not, I would say they're below average is what I was. So the NFL put the AFC South title game in prime time on Saturday night. Titans Jags. It's great. This is, (laughs) is it a great game? Well, because of the stakes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not signing up for a Josh Dobbs uh, main event show here, but at the same time, If you're going to give me something where the the stakes are on the on the field and you still got Derrick Henry on the road, I'm going to be looking at a Titans money line spot here, Matt. Oh uh, right now gosh. sitting at six and a half. 
See, I already cashed my Titans under nine wins bet. Yeah. So I so this, so this game doesn't matter to me. I want the Jaguars in the playoffs. Of course. I have a Doug Peterson coach of the year ticket. Now I know Dable probably has that locked in, you know, yeah. but at the same time, at the beginning of the year, I was feeling pretty good about the Jags worst to first kind of angle here, which is what's going to be in play here. But uh, I'm really feeling the Titans money line because I think Vrabel is, I, I think that highly of Mike Vrabel as a head coach, I know that they've lost five straight, six straight, but I just, when you're putting me in a position where I have to put Dougie P with Trevor Lawrence, uh, I'm just not feeling great about the Jags as a big favorite. Um, yeah. And Derek Flip Henry that. on the road. I wrote that wrong, Farah. That's my bad. I wrote that on the rundown. I wrote Titans plus minus six and a half. It's Titans plus six and a half. So just well, for those of you watching at home, there's not a flipping of the of the number. Titans are the dogs as they should be. Jags are minus six and a half, not Titans. My and bad. again, like I'm probably biased because I'm a Cowboys fan, but I feel like Josh Dobbs, there was a couple of times where I was a little worried. Like I wasn't like overly worried, but at the same time, I was like, man, if they were playing everybody and Derek Henry was playing, I'm a little worried that, the Titans could have probably kept this game kind of close. I, I keep bringing up Henry. And the reason why I want to is just when he plays in row games, man, it's a different level. Like he scored a touchdown in 22 of his last 27 row games dating back to November of 2019. Uh, he has scored a touchdown in 11 of his last 13 row games overall with 19 touchdowns total. One of those games against the Jaguars where he had three touchdowns on them. So when you have a, who's the best player in this game, I'm going to probably say it's Derek yeah. Henry. You know, yeah. so if you have the best player in this game, I don't you think have a, a question. Is that, is that even a debate? That's well, you know, debate. somebody might try to say Trevor Lawrence might be. Not yet. I mean, know, Lawrence no. in three years, maybe when he's in his prime, but Lawrence isn't there yet. No. Derek, so, Derek Henry is the best player in this game. And But do you want, I mean, a part of me wants the Titans in the playoffs so I can fade the hell out of them. Of course. Of course. Because they're, <laughs> and not only that, because they're going to get the the Saturday 1 PM Eastern game, like where nobody really cares. Everybody's right. still just trying to get their bearings together. And of course <laughs> right. I'm going to be able to fade them in that spot. But in this kind of game in a divisional spot, I'm just not sure if the Jags are ready for prime time. And, and so if you're going to give me the Titans, I'm just, I'm ignoring the spread here because we're a little bit past the the key number here where I thought yeah. it was going to be around seven. Uh, so I'm just going to take the money line in this spot. It stunned me last week because I teased the Texans up from four and a half to 10 and a half. And I was like, look, divisional spot Jags are going to coast because they just need to win. And then they went and killed the Texans, killed them. And we talked about this off air, like Nick, uh, my co-host with the touchdown show, we were like, so we should probably be looking at long shots for the Jaguars, right? Because all of these guys are going to be, you know, bench. And then of course you see uh, uh, Snoop. Oh, what's his last name? Snoop Taylor, Snoop Wilson. doesn't matter. Sure. The third running back, Jamichael hasty as well behind Travis Etienne. Those guys are scoring touchdowns. So there was a lot of value to look at from a Jacksonville standpoint. But when we were making those ideas and plays, we weren't thinking that it was going to be a, like a 25 point blowout and that the Texans were going to completely mail it in, but kudos to them. They should They're you should try to get the first overall pick. Like there's no way after that game, after the Saturday games, when they're watching Georgia and Ohio state play and watching CJ Stroud play, there is no way that they were thinking to themselves. Yeah. Davis mills is the answer. Like, you no. know, they, you know, they but were like, still, you just, they've played hard with lovey Smith. They've played hard in those moments. And it was a divisional game and a divisional spot, lose the game, but play hard. Like if you were a Texans fan and you bought that ticket, you're watching your team. I mean, the Jaguars are a hot team in the NFL, but I, I mean, they look like, you know, the 2007 Patriots. I mean, they did whatever the hell they wanted in that game. It was blocking punts and 
big plays and big runs. Etienne going crazy with an 80 plus yard run. It was, I was that I did not see coming. I, I thought the Texans would be in that game just because divisional home divisional dog in January, December, historically speaking is a good bet. I was like, all right, let's just tease it up to 10 and a half. That should be enough. Nope. Need a hell of a lot more than that. <laughs> the, way more from a prop standpoint, already kind of looking at this game, the biggest edge that you could find for a touchdown prop is for the outside wide receivers for the Jaguars. Okay. So the Titans, they have allowed the second most touchdowns to wide receivers this year. People would look at that stat and think, okay, so every wide receiver is in play. And it's like, not necessarily. They're actually really good against the slot, which is where Christian Kirk lines up a lot. So Christian Kirk, you know, Travis Etienne to a lesser extent, and they're really good against the run. Obviously, that was been their bread and butter from a defensive standpoint. So the guys that you want to consider is actually like a Zay Jones. You can see him right now at plus 275 to score a touchdown in this game. That's where the Titans have been exploited the most. We've seen Devontae Adams go off on them, A.J. Brown, all these wide receiver ones who line up on outside of of the formation and not necessarily in the slot. So Christian Kirk, he's probably around like plus 200, maybe plus 190. That's the guy that I'm not going to be betting for this game. Zay Mm. Jones is definitely somebody who I'll be betting to score a touchdown. So the Dolphins are taking on the Jets. Tua is not going to play in this game. As we know, it looks like it's going to be Mike Glennon's going to be playing uh, Bridgewater <laughs> hurt here. So we got a third string quarterback playing for Miami in a game that they need. Now the Patriot beating the bills could knock out Miami, but if that doesn't happen, Miami needs to win to get into the postseason. jets can play spoiler here. Do you trust an offense being led by the neck to win a game like this? So here's, here's the crux. So, if, if Mike White can just not do a Zach Wilson impression, <laughs> then maybe the Jets offense will do something. All right. But one of the trends that, so Evan Abrams, he's a, a coworker of mine at Action Network, puts mm-hmm. together a betting primer every week with like just on fantastic trends and different angles to look at. And one of the things that he found was the teams with nothing to play for versus teams with something to play for. So he found since 1990, eliminated, eliminated teams playing teams that need a win over the final two weeks of the season are right. hitting at a 63% clip. So to the dog. Yes. To the dog. So 96, 59 and four against the spread 63% since 1990. And what he's basically getting at is that the teams that were banking on with something to play for a la the dolphins, maybe have a little bit of a time covering the spread or showing up because a lot of the time they'll bake that number right into the spread. Like, Oh, they're motivated. So instead of minus six and a half, we're going to bump that to minus eight and a half or something like that, which makes it now this game is a little bit trickier because essentially we're looking at a toss up. It's about minus one, minus one and a half, depending on the, the book you're looking at. But from a superior defense standpoint, like if we're just looking at the matchup and the numbers, the Jets should be favored in this game. The problem mm-hmm. that we can't give the Jets the favorite in this game is because they have nothing to play for. And we have a horrible, horrible quarterback. <laughs> like, again, I, I was the guy who was like, you know what? Mike White will be the savior for the Jets more so than Zach Wilson. And I have no problem admitting that I was 100% wrong. They need a completely new quarterback and a talented quarterback. Puts their whole that franchise. System. It doesn't ruin. I mean, when you, when you miss with the number two pick in the draft, it puts you such into 
a purgatory state with your entire franchise for like four seasons because you can't quit on them because you owe them guaranteed money and you still have to give them at least a sniff of, uh, of some snaps to see if he's developed, but you're basically in a four year purgatory as a result. And you got to bring in a veteran next year. You can't really draft somebody next year. So you have to bring in a veteran, a short term deal. So that's why people have speculated Derek Carr to the jets that he might wind up going there, which I could definitely see. And then you basically hope that Zach, you know, Wilson figures it out in some form or fashion that he either, I don't know, just the game looks too fast for him. And that as a rookie in your second year where you're supposed to make that jump, that's got to be, if you're a jet fan, you're just shaking your head going, all right, we're right back to having a great defense and no offense like we've seen in the Rex Ryan days. Okay. So let's put Derek Carr off to the side. All right. Tom Brady. Do you think to the Jets? I know it sounds just again, you're a Patriots fan, so you would automatically be like, no effing way would this happen. But this he likes Robert Kraft too much. He he's too close to Robert Kraft to ever wear. And again, I'm not the Brady whisperer. I don't know. I'm not I'm not plugged into that area the way you would never the the amount of disrespect. The Patriot franchise hates the Jets franchise for years, dating back to the Belichick days, dating back to the Pete Carroll days. These the Johnson family and the Kraft family do not like each other. Tom Brady is like a son to, to Robert Kraft. He is never he wear a giant uniform. I could see him playing in in New York with the Giants because the Mara family and the Kraft family are yeah. friends. There's no way Tom Brady ever wears a jet uniform. I only bring that up, Matt, because if you look at the different teams of where they're ready-made, like almost like a insert X quarterback and this team will immediately go up. He's coming here. I know. I know he's coming you're thinking here. He's, it's going to be, he's you're going to have the Vegas. coming home puff daddy. He's, no, he's coming to Vegas. Montage. No, 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 no. He's not oh, going he's to going to Vegas. Sorry. He's coming here. <laughs> He's coming I see to the Boston ad. I see here. I see. Home. Yeah, no, 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 no. He's coming to where I am from sitting right now. He's coming to Vegas. Tom Brady's not going to Boston. I look, I would, as a Bostonian, as a Patriot fan, I would fall over if Tom Brady would go back to New England. It's never happening. It's it's not happening. So here's he the next question that why I would only, I, my only concern with him going is if he, is just you have to play now Mahomes twice a year and that Correct. division is all like going into this season the AFC West but you, you know, could Tom, argue could have Tom Brady's could, record against Mahomes is pretty good of course but so. not exactly <laughs> ready made defense nope. ready to be able to combat anybody uh, comparatively to when he had the Patriots or the Buccaneers right so that would yeah. be my only pushback score fifth score forty a game and you're good. Well, <laughs> complete a pass and you'll be good, man. Like this year's been tough, right? I I think Brady will in Josh's system coming here. I think he'll he'll ride out his time here and have have some fun. You know, he doesn't need to win a championship. If he does, it's phenomenal. If he makes the playoffs and wins a playoff game, he'd be a savior. I I you know people retire in Vegas all the time. You know, I thought he'd retire with the Bucks. I think Brady retires here, but from, from a jet perspective, I, the, the pickings are a little slim. I mean, in terms of, okay, so cross off Brady, cross off car. Who goes to the jets next year? I mean, it's it's tough. It's going to be, I mean, Baker Mayfield. Do you want him? I mean, is, is, he, is he the guy you want to come in, run your offense? <laughs> I mean, uh, you, any suggestion that we're talking about is just retreads. Like you're like, right. uh, oh, no, you, but, we, but I think we agree though. It has to be a retread because they can't use a first round pick on a quarterback. Right. 
Well, I, I don't even think they would be in a position to be able to get one of the good ones anyway. Like, so unless you're moving up and trading more draft capital to get up to the the CJ Stroud or the Bryce Young, which they're going to probably be taking in the two or I can't first three see. picks. Where do you think the, you, you think they're all going? Do you think all the quarterbacks are going high? I, I think you I think Levis. they will mainly because of the talent. These two specifically, I think what you'll see happen is teams if like if the Bears, for example, get the first overall pick, which right likely won't happen. It'll likely be the Texans, depending on how this week goes, because right. Nathan Peterman is now going to be starting for the Bears this weekend, which will be hilarious to watch. Speaking of interception props. <laughs> um, right. But but I think the one thing I would say with that is teams will trade up. To they will mortgage their future for Fair. a quarterback like that. We saw, you know, San Francisco do that. You know, if there's yep. a team that is just right there on the cusp, maybe a Jets franchise would do that. I wouldn't recommend it, but at the same time, you know, the that Bucks would be could something. do it. I mean, the Bucks could do to replace Brady. The Bucks could be a team that would go ahead and do that. They would try to go up from the twenties to top ten, top five to get a quarterback. I mean, there's going to be by most people's thoughts, there's going to be four quarterbacks taken in the first fifteen picks. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll, we'll see where it all, you know, how it all plays out. I mean, I'm very curious to see where we're both because Bryce Young and CJ Stroud could slip because of their size. They're just not the prototypical. That's why everyone loves Will Levis from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He's a big dude with a big arm. That guy in New York it's kind of like a Josh Allen type. I, I could absolutely see him with the Jets. Well, that's why I think more of Stroud than Young. Not to say that I don't think Young is good. I think he's awesome. But talent evaluators are going to look at how he played against arguably a a junior NFL defense in a way because of how many that system and how many players that are likely going to play in the well, NFL Mac, next Mac year. Mac Jones is hurting. Yeah, Mac Jones is hurting the stock right now. Bryce Young. Yes. <laughs> well, he's hurting. Also, he's hurting his. That's not good. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and I think the one thing, too, is Tua has looked pretty good, you know, in, in spurts. It's just whether or not he can uh, avoid concussions and whatnot. So there wasn't really much made about his size and just it was. But it, a lot of what the critique about Tua was, was the anticipation and uh, and just the poise. And I think that's carried over to Bryce Young as far as where talent evaluators are looking at. I'm not going to pretend like I'm an NFL draft expert. I'm just going to say that I am willing to bet that two of those quarterbacks are being taken in the top three picks. Oh, I totally. Yeah. I mean, Levis is, is going one. I, I think he's, he's going to be, I think he's the first pick in the draft. And then number two is probably going to be that defensive lineman from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is probably going to be a quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think you're wrong at all about that. About the number of people I think that we're going to see just, you know, quarterbacks taken like, like normal. I just, I'd be very curious to see what the jets do and in, 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 in how the jets do Gorov uh, asking me, why do the Raiders want Tom Brady or why would he's saying, why would the Raiders want Brady? Well, I mean, it's Tom Brady. I mean, we, he was going to come here two years ago and he, he, I mean, Dana White said that Mark Davis killed it. So Mark Davis now is known that you're the guy who didn't want Tom Brady. So if you get Brady a second time around, that was before that they had drafted. I mean, that was Gruden, and that was you know a situation there where the owner and Gruden both they said no. Gruden supposedly said no, but Davis did too. Now you've got a new coach, and it's his boy being the head coach. So it's just a reuniting, and then it's an you have to keep Devontae Adams happy. That's going to be the problem. Well, it's also ticket sales and just more. Agreed. Vegas is all about the show. It's all about 100%. the stars. 
Tom Brady, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, is still the biggest name in the NFL. It doesn't it's, matter. It's one of the issues wanna... that the Golden Knights are having. I mean, the Golden Knights are one of the best teams in the Western Conference, but they don't have a star. Like they, they, Jack Eichel hasn't become what they thought he was going He's to be. He's never been that guy, too. He's you right. Know, and it, so, yeah. He's not McDavid, right? He's not this, you have to watch him play. Like you watch Connor McDavid, you watch him skate, and you're like, that's different. What that guy's doing is different on the ice. It's not the same. I mean, Eichel's a great player, but he's not going to get to that level. Like Marc-Andre Fleury was that guy here in Vegas. He was the marquee. He was the face of the franchise. The Raiders don't have one. It was Derek Carr. And I think the team didn't really, I mean, I think the organization wasn't in love with that from a football standpoint. From a person standpoint, Derek Carr is a great human being. So they were totally comfortable him being the face for that. Brady, it will be on every billboard in this town. Yeah. Like, if he's wearing Raiders black and gold, I mean, silver and gold, silver and black, right? Yeah, that's the colors, not Raiders. Silver and black and not Steelers. Got too much Pittsburgh on my brain. Uh, a defense, it's a great question. Like, I think that's what Tom would say is, okay, guys, so you have me, Josh Jacobs, you got to resign him. Adams, Waller, Renfro, an okay offensive line that's very good at run blocking and can't pass block to save their lives. Get me a, a new left tackle. Get me somebody who can help me out in the pass pro and then hire a defensive coordinator who can come in and coach and change the defense. Yeah, offensively, there's a lot of guys who fit the familiar faces of the Patriots. Devontae Adams plays the Randy Moss role. Darren Waller plays the Gronk role. Hunter Renfro plays the Wes Welker role or Julian Edelman, Edelman yep. role, you know? So right. uh, there's a lot to like. I think my issue is, is that I'm not sure if Brady and that offense or Brady in general is, you can't have him throwing 45 times a game. This is the most nope. he's ever thrown in a season per game ever, you know, and that's including a season where he had 50 touchdowns you know, in 2007. So right. that's my biggest concern. But when you have a guy like Josh Jacobs and, uh, you know, I don't want to call them a below average offensive line. They're okay. They're just middle of the pack for the Raiders. That was one of the biggest strengths of the Buccaneers in the, at least the first season is how awesome their offensive line was They're just both sides, defensive line, offensive line. They had studs pretty much everywhere. It was a ready-made turnkey type of franchise ready for him. There's just certain holes on this team, offensive line in particular, the secondary, mm. especially that I'm a little worried that even if you brought in a Tom Brady, it would just not be enough to move the needle, especially now playing in a division where yes, he has a great record against Mahomes and the chiefs, but a little Herbert. bit different of a team, but then also it's not like the Broncos are an easy game. You know, it's right. not like the, 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 the chargers are just going to be rollovers. Right. Whereas the NFC South, you know, you had some pretty easy games against the Falcons and Panthers in your time there. And even the, well, not the saints, the saints actually has snake bitten him uh, in repeatedly, but yes, I know, I know what you're saying in terms of you can have a losing record and almost win the division. It's, it's crazy when it comes to the South. It's, it's, it's true. I, I want to skip ahead and I want to get this in before we let go of sports grid here, because I am curious about the winter classic in Canada. Mm -hmm. What is the feeling about the winter classic in Canada, do, do, do they like it or does it like feel like Americans are taking your sport and, and playing around with it and making it funny? No, if anything, like Canadians love it because the one thing about the NHL and Canada, like we're happy to have it. It's ours. We have no problem sharing it as well. We just don't yeah. want people to disparage it. And, and so if you're putting on this kind of event, it's only going to promote it. Right. So that way more Americans accept it as part of the big four 
of sports in North America, because still at the end of the day, it's still only go, it's always going to be fourth behind right. baseball, um, baseball, basketball, and football. So in some niches it's fifth behind college football. Well, of course, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the same type <laughs> of sport more so yes. than that. So if we're right. using that logic, you could put them down seventh or eighth, depending on how you feel about MMA UFC, as well. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so with that, any type of event like that is obviously going to be great for us. Cause that just means that there's going to be more hockey and especially specialized hockey, the way that we grew up playing hockey. Now I will say, I don't know if it has the same luster as maybe like 10 years ago, like when you would okay. see it in like one of the most memorable ones is the one that they did at Ann Arbor with the Detroit Red Wings. That one was awesome because again, you could have so many people in that arena, you know, you could feel the the energy. Um, and even when they do it in Canada, it's really fun to watch, especially in like Edmonton or uh, where they'll play it at like a CFL stadium or something like that. Where Ontario. You can yeah, exactly. So those are fun to watch, but for us as Canadians, like, again, we're watching hockey all the time. We have hockey night in Canada every Saturday on our public government programming here, <laughs> you know, so, awesome. you know, that it's part, that's how much it's ingrained in Canada that our tax dollars ensure that that game <laughs> for the Leafs or the Habs or whoever is being played for free on a Saturday night at 7 PM Eastern. So for us, winter classic is great, but also at the same time, we're going to like hockey regardless if it happens. It's interesting because in, I mean, I liked it at Fenway Park. They finally put it the right way. It was from the first base to the third base. So it's going across the mound. Fenway Park was very, uh, in the two previous iterations of the of, of this being hosted at Fenway, they really mm-hmm. did not want to do that. And so the, they finally, the Red Sox finally said, fine, you can knock down the mound or rebuild it and put the winner, you know, to make sure it goes the way it should go. And so people who have the seats, I mean, if you had the green monster seats, you had the greatest view straight down people who were in like in right field. I have no idea how they saw what was going on on the ice. I mean, they had to look over a board and look down. And so I, I'm not in love with the venue they always put it at, but it is unique. It's cool to see hockey in a different venue and it showcases hockey because people watch it. And it's sort of like, I mean, TNT had it, so they're promoting it and, and they're putting it out there. It was a good game for the most part. The ice wasn't great like we thought it wasn't going to be. And that's usually what happens. What we always worry is that you'll see yeah. is that the ice surface just gets a little chipped under. up a little more, yeah. you know. I mean, it was just like I, the second I saw the weather forecast, I was like, bet the under. It was like, it's not, they're not going to score. <laughs> it's just, it well, was two to one the final. This was my only other thing that I would bring up about the Winter Classic and just say that it's not that it's not important in Canada, but it's also happening at the same time as something that is almost as equally as important in Canada oh. for hockey. And that's the world junior hockey championships, uh, the world juniors in who's Canada. Who's this Bedard kid everyone's talking about? He is the real deal, man. And he is probably Gretzky. Everyone's saying he's the next. Well, next I'm not going to go that far. So what he has done, he is 17 years old. He's going to probably go first overall in this upcoming draft. But the big thing that people will point to is look how many points he's put up at these tournaments. He surpassed, tournament levels of guys like Eric Lindros, like Lindros Mm -hmm. owned the record for most points by a player in this tournament with 31 points. Um, And that's back in like 94, 93. And you think about all the great Canadian hockey players that have come up through since then that have not been able to pass this record. And here is this guy, Connor Bedard, 
at 17, just dominating like in those and where I'm from here in Halifax, that's where these games are being played right now. So uh, it's a sea of red and white here. So not to say that we didn't care about the world, uh, the classic, but every year on Boxing Day, that's when the tournament kicks off. And Canada is always either favored to win or, you know, second or third, you know, at the United States right. obviously still has a good developmental program. So we, if anything, it's just more hockey for us, but we're, it is very common here on boxing day to see families get together and literally just watch USA versus Canada. Um, and, and the juniors yeah. are the team. I, I've already seen articles about tanking for this kid. Is, is that going to be from a betting perspective? Should we start taking a looking, take a look at that in the second half of the NHL season? The, this kid is the overall. I think the one thing I would say, Matt is, uh, there are teams in the NHL right now that you could say they're tanking or they're actually just that bad. Like the Blackhawks are just that bad. They don't really have to tank. They could just put up the regular team and they would still probably finish at the bottom of the standings. And uh, right now they're the most likely to get the first overall pick. Uh, and I don't really see that changing at this stage. Unbelievable. Just the way that this team is. Sports Grid, we're great to be back on with you guys. Appreciate you guys watching. For you guys who are on Twitter and YouTube, stick around. More to come here with BVB. All right, so let's do quick football, and then we'll do the better book it segment, and we can wrap. Do you have any thoughts on TCU, Georgia? I mean, the, the numbers for those of you guys are, are the following. TCU is 10-3-1 ATS. They're 5-2-1 on the road. Georgia seven and seven ATS four and four on the road. TCU was seven and a half point dogs against Michigan. They won the game outright. Now they're 12 and a half point dogs against Georgia. Georgia's only been under a 14 point favorite two times this year, <laughs> which is insane. They're one in one in those games. That loss was last week where they were laying four and a half and didn't cover against Ohio state. I don't know. I keep on betting against TCU. I keep on losing money. I'm going to do it again. I'm, I'm going to take Georgia. Any thoughts on Monday? I, I think I'm with you. And I think there's a big difference between Michigan and Georgia, just Agreed. as far as their programs. Um, obviously they lost a lot of NFL talent in the off season. You wouldn't really notice <laughs> with the right. way that they ran through the sec this year. Um, I would be looking at it. I also was a little concerned that I saw a mattress Mac sounds like he's going to be putting a ton of money on 1.5 million on TCU. Yeah. So um, I don't know if that maybe steers me away from it or steers me for it, but I think right. uh, I would still make a bet with Georgia, regardless of what mattress Mac is doing. But I think if anything, I'm going to probably be gravitating to some anytime touchdown props in this game. Um, like last week against, uh, against Ohio state, a much stronger defense than TCU. Stetson Bennett, for example, the quarterback with Georgia was plus 150 to score a touchdown. Ooh. He scored the second touchdown of the game for them. So I'm going to be looking at guys like that probably to score. Um, one guy that kind of burned me was Brock Bowers, the tight end for Georgia. Uh, leads them in pretty much every receiving category, but you wouldn't even have known he was on the field. That's how good right. Georgia is. Um, and that's kind of why I'm looking at right now at Georgia, that they could have a player that is all American. It's going to probably be a first round pick doesn't even need to be targeted and they could still win over a team that you could argue that Ohio state was the better team. They're just that they, they ran out of gas at the end. 
But for me, I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at TCU. It was a nice run, but I have a feeling this line's going to probably climb even more by kickoff. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think this is going to be, I mean, it, it came down, it was 13 and a half and it's dipped down to 12 and a half, which I think is a head fake. I think it's just, I think the, the, the pros are trying to get this thing down to a <laughs> under 13, under 12 type number to come in and just, you know, unlowerate the 13 and yeah. a half when it eventually goes back up. To, you know, yeah. close at 14 and a half, right? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> where, where these numbers are just, just ridiculous ridiculous all right so you're gonna play the part of the book here all right so there's no point in now you can just give me your gut reaction you don't have to have a breakdown on these games i have four games i bet and i'm gonna give you and you can tell me whether you like it or not if you like it you say bet it if you don't like it you say book it all right okay first game is tampa bay in minnesota tonight you've got good goaltenders for both teams Total last night was six and a half. The total right now for this game is six. So I have a better number. I laid minus 110 last night on this. But how do you feel about under six and a half for Tampa and Minnesota tonight with the two good goaltenders in that? I mean, I like the under. I will say, obviously, you're seeing Tampa right now uh, scoring a lot of goals. They're third in goals per game. Minnesota a little bit more middle of the pack. I'm going to bet it. I'm going to bet under six and a half because you're getting the half. If it was under six, I'd probably be a little concerned. I'd probably take the over just because at least that way you could still get a push. Right. I agree. I love the six. And that's where we are with the second bet because I like betting sixes, whether go over or under because of the push potential Dallas and Anaheim. So Dallas is one of the best teams at home in the whole NHL. Second best actually to the over on the under though, on the road, they're the second best team to the under. They don't score on the road. They don't give up goals on the road. And Anaheim at home has been okay. They're they're 10 and 8 to the under. Not like outstanding sort of, you know, coin flip here. But given where we are on the other side, I'm going to go under six goals here tonight for the Stars and the Ducks. Yeah, I'm going to bet. I'm going to bet this too with you, Matt. And the reason being is Anaheim, regardless of home or away, second least goals per game in the NHL at 2.24, uh, whereas Dallas is up there. So I actually, I would probably be looking more at maybe Dallas minus one and a half if I had to nice. choose between the two, but mm-hmm. I like the under because if Dallas minus one and a half is hitting, it's likely because it was a four, two win. Yep. Or to a three, one win four one win type situation. Yep. I like that a lot. Uh, two college basketball games. The first of which is Providence up against UConn. Now, you're new to the show. So I have a running gag. That's true. I hate the state of Connecticut. I'm a UMass. <laughs> All right. I'm a, I'm a UMass graduate. I think Connecticut is the most worthless state in our country. I wow. think we should have 49 states. You don't need Connecticut. There's nothing. No one, no one likes being from Connecticut. No one wants to be from Connecticut. So where There's would no ESPN sports. go? If, if you got rid of well, that state, where would they move? Move it somewhere else. Cause it's, right. it, it literally is the only reason why people know that it exists is because of Bristol, Connecticut. Cause no one likes Hartford. No one likes stores, Connecticut. UConn lost by 10 last week, last game out stunning loss. They're the number two team in the country, number three team in the country, according to Ken Palm. But Providence has won seven straight and they've covered seven straight. I got a home dog in the Friars at plus five tonight against UConn. Betting it or booking it? This is tough because I'm more (laughs) of a dog better. Right. But I also know that when the top dogs in college basketball come to play, they come to play, especially off of a tough loss. Numbers gone up, by the way. It's five and a half now. 
So okay, all right. It's moving um, against me. Just for just to mix it up, I I still would lay UConn less than seven. I would say okay. less than seven. I am extremely curious because Creighton plays at UConn Saturday, which could make the whole season for the Blue Jays, who I have uh, I bet them to win the national championship. They have been horrific. They lost six straight games. They went home, won three straight games. Now they're back on the road Saturday against UConn. They killed Seton Hall last night. Mm-hmm going to see what happens in that basketball game but this game tonight i am going to be glued to this game final game in college basketball missouri plus seven i have eight but we'll, we'll use seven and a half because that, yeah. that's everywhere up against arkansas tonight i was on lsu last night on the road at rup plus 10 they lost by three i think missouri keeps this game close missouri's been red hot Arkansas has not been great. They lost to LSU. Missouri uh, beat Kentucky big by 14 points in their last game out. It shocked everybody. I think we got another tight game in the SEC tonight. How do you feel about Missouri plus seven and a half against Arkansas? And see, this is where I differ. The seven is a big number for me in betting basketball just because of the possessions and and how free throws come into play. Um, So at seven and a half, if if it was trailing below seven, I might be a little more leaning towards Arkansas here. But at the seven and a half, I think that's a solid spread number. I got, I bet eight last night and it moved DraftKings had it at eight. They were off the market uh, here in Vegas. We were at seven last night at most books. Seven and a half was kind of the non Vegas book, not DraftKings. So you could go and grab eight last night at DraftKings. So there's a little bit of a, of a question as to your, your number of being seven, eight right there. That, that three possession game is really something that everybody is looking at. So um, I like, I like my number. I like seven and a half too. I I loved Arkansas going into the year. They've got two well, key injuries. Yeah. They haven't played the way I thought they were going to. Mm-hmm. Let's go Missouri tonight. All right. So we end the show with kind of an uplifting thought. We call it my favorite thing about today. I'll let you go first. It can be anything. Literally, there's nothing off the table. But is there something positive going on today yeah. in your life? Well, and I mean, it might not necessarily, again, we don't get to talk every day too. So it's hard to kind of sum it up with like my feelings on just one day. But I would say that today just kind of reiterated just that overall feeling of feeling blessed, you know, and just knowing that hard work can pay off. Because I mean, we've, we're old enough that we know what it's like to come in to be the first guy that have to like almost intern at a radio station just to kind of get your, get even a shred of airtime, you know, or to, to write a bunch just so that way you can get something published on a site. And, you know, two years ago I was around my lowest point in the industry Mm. where I probably, and I was three years in, but I was just grinding and, you know, not really getting more opportunities. And then about three months later, um, things just kind of took off and it went fast. Like, and now I'm at where I'm at. And sometimes I just have to take a step back. And when I saw this question, I was like, what my favorite thing about today is, is that, that I just have the flexibility that I could just sit there and talk sports with a guy that I respect two guys that have <laughs> Francophone names that we pronounce it Anglophone pronunciations, you know? So it's uh, <laughs> it's just a fun day to be able to know that I can just talk about sports betting and that people want to hear what we have to say. 
Yeah. Two French last names. It's, 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 it's phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, I'm super happy for all your success and in, in what you have done. And I, I mean, I, I think I came across, I don't know, four years ago or yeah, so about 2018, 2019 the, around the somewhere odd around that range. In the, I think it was, you were in the odd sharks time. I think when, when, when I came across the stuff that you were doing and I just, I found yourself to be super interesting and really fun and brought you on the radio show. And, and you just, I, I'm, I love the, the, the friendship we've cultivated over the years. I don't think you and I have ever been in the same room together. No, well, I don't get to Vegas. I don't get to Vegas yeah. enough. I, like, and when I am like, so, you know, I'll, I'll make a periodic trip to LA or New York. I just right. I haven't been able to get to Vegas since COVID. It's so funny. There's so many people who I have had these longstanding relationships. I have a friend of mine named Lee Sterling, who is a handicapper in Florida. I've known Lee since 2001. I've been in the room with the same room as him two times. <laughs> and I talk to him like literally, I talk to him once a month minimum, sometimes twice a month we talk. And it's been going on for over 20 years. And we've been in the same room two times. One time here in Vegas, another time we went to a football game together in Iowa. That's it. But I talk to him all the time. And I mean, he knows my daughter. I know his kids. Like, it's just, it's the, it's the weird way the world has worked over the last couple of years, just or uh, 10 years with the internet and whatnot. You just have these great relationships with people, even though you're not physically seeing them or being in the same room. And um, for me, I mean, the favorite thing about today is, is just, you know, we've hit 2023 and I know you probably followed the escapades of what's going on with the show. It's great to see the names back in the chat and great to see people as, as what we're doing each and every day and, you know, getting back on sports grid and doing the things that we've been doing. It's just, we, when you're off for a while, it lets you, I always feel like I always come back with such a joy for the microphone mm -hmm. and, and such energy to get started again whenever you're off for a, for a vacation or the holidays or whatnot. So you doing the show, me doing the show, Farrah doing the show, just getting BVB back on is, is, is my favorite thing about today for sure. But listen, man, thank you for doing this. I, I know it was sort of last minute that I kind of jumped on you yesterday saying, Hey, what are you doing? Can you give me two hours? And you were like, yeah, let's go. So I really do appreciate it. Before we go, tell everybody where they can get your stuff, where they can follow you and where they can, they can find your work coming this weekend. Absolutely. So every Sunday I host a anytime touchdown betting show called the touchdown show, really creative name here, but, <laughs> but regardless, it, it gets right to the point. And uh, it's on at 1130 AM Eastern. We put it both on Twitter and on the action network, YouTube channel, my co-host, nice. Nick Giffen. Uh, we both basically give out two to three touchdown bets. Also just looking at different games, buys and sells. And then we'll look at, you know, some primetime games as well. Uh, another thing that I do is I'm on the Action Network podcast streams. Uh, for example, every Sunday night, we'll recap, uh, do a recap show of the week of the NFL. We'll do a Best Bets podcast every Thursday. So you could find those on the Action Network podcast feeds. Uh, as well, I'm kind of writing out touchdown articles and different angles and stuff for the actionnetwork.com. And then, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GDog5000, where I'll tweet out some <laughs> cool stats, maybe some silly anecdotes your, of my life. Your and, handle uh, is so good. <laughs> Yeah, like again, it was one of those things that if you remember Joe Osborne, he used to run uh, Odd Shark back in the day, back in 2016, yeah. 2017, and 2018, and he's the one who hired me. We're really good friends outside of work and good whatnot. Dude, so, really good dude, and yeah. and uh, he had suggested he's like, let's come up with a funny name, and I was like, what about G Dog? He's like, how about G Dog Five Thousand? And we just <laughs> it, we both laughed like, and then we're like, I'm going to change it to that, and the name just stuck, you know. So it uh, it's one of those things that. Uh, you know, you can't, you don't get to choose your friends. Your friends choose you sometimes. And just like your nicknames. Thank you, man. Really appreciate you doing this. Really good to see you. Great to have a conversation with you for a couple of hours. Thank you so much. He is Jill. I am Matt. We are back tomorrow for another episode of the Bostonian versus the book.